Hello, Hushlings. Welcome back to another edition of Declassified Discussions. I'm Declassified Dave. And I'm Mystery Mike. And I'm Slick Frank Sanders. Tonight, we have an absolutely great guest. A journalist with film and TV credentials, as well as an author of Demons Among Us, Shocking Real-Life Stories from the Paranormal. Which speaks about stories of dark, shadowy figures, evil beings, and demonic possession, which was released in early 2021. Please welcome M.R. Gorga. Hey guys, how you doing? Very well, sir. Thank you for coming. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Please fill our listeners in on who you are and where they can find you, what you do. Sure. Well, I am the author of Demons Among Us, Shocking Real Life Stories from the Paranormal. Uh, and uh, you can find uh, my book on Amazon. It is a number one bestseller. Uh, and uh, it's available in Kindle and in print versions. And you can find me online at uh, Instagram at m.r.gorga and at Facebook at mrgorga. Before we get started, how did you come into getting into the paranormal? What was your inspiration for getting into all things dark and ghosty? Well, I mean, Demons Among Us uh, is an answer to a string of nighttime demonic assaults that I was experiencing. Uh, and so I was woken up in the middle of the night with uh, iron, invisible hands clenched around my throat and squeezing and uh, trying to choke me to death or half to death. Um, invisible whisperings, scratchings, bitings, things of that nature. And that was kind of going on for a week or two. Um, and the last thing uh, demonic forces or dark dark forces want is to be exposed because they operate in uh, dark, deep secrecy. Uh, and so uh, demons among us is an answer to that. I said, okay, you're going to attack me. I'm going to attack you back and expose uh, this whole this whole spiritual realm and how it operates and how they function. And so Demons Among Us is actually an answer to those uh, the string of assaults. Now, in your book, Demons Among Us, it covers a really wide array of paranormal phenomenon. What else do you get into in the book besides just the demonic attacks? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, it's, yeah. Well, I didn't write it just to share some some very creepy stories of what it does it has my own personal accounts um with these dark forces and some very harrowing accounts uh, it has the first fully documented eyewitness account of demonic possession in american history uh which was uh re reported uh 20 years or two decades before the salem witch trials uh and then it goes into um what demons and dark forces are and how they function and how they operate in the world around us without even you knowing it or how they may impact your lives or of your everyday life without even knowing that uh, you're you're under uh, demonic influences uh, we covered some Salem witch trial stuff too very interesting stuff and we enjoyed that especially since we're all from the same area that took place right in New England but right. I had a question when you're first hearing these voices and seeing these attacks in the middle of the night and coming at you from all angles, 
was your first thought, am I losing my mind? Am I going crazy? Or is this some sort of external force? Did you always know that it was external or did you question your sanity at any point? Well, when you wake up with invisible hands choking you, um, you don't think there's anything that you're going crazy. You, you literally, it is a physical yet spiritual uh, experience. So you know something is happening and you know you're not crazy. <laughs> So, you know, so picture somebody choking you, but not being able to see it. You know, you're being choked by something. You know, something's in the room because you can feel this dark power just emanating all around. And so the whole entire atmosphere changes. Uh, So it's not a matter of being crazy. (laughs) It's just a matter of, you know, something's going on here. And, uh, uh, you, you know, you, you kind of—I kind of knew that um, you know these are demonic attacks, and so yeah, no, I, I know I'm not crazy. You know. Oh so. no, no, I wasn't calling. I'm just saying, some people when they first get these types of things happening to them—the paranormal, ghosts, or a- any of the related things—they start to think, "Oh, is this in my head, or is this something that's really happening?" So I just wondered oh, if yeah. you ever like kind of yeah. faltered in that thought process. No, but that does happen all the time. And that, you know, and, and the reason why people don't don't come out and actually share their stories uh, more is for some reason, the, the fear of being called crazy. So I hear this all the time. And one of the fascinating things uh, about the book is, is the response from people who now they, they feel comfortable reaching out to me and saying, you know, I've had this happen. And uh, I, I didn't want to share it with anybody because I, I didn't want anyone to think I was crazy. So, and, you know, so and I, I'm hearing these stories all the time. And, you know, another factor of why I wrote the book, it wasn't just me experiencing these these nighttime assaults, um, but it was a whole group of, of other people as well. Uh, at the time I wrote this book, I was a, um, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. So I was a prayer, I'm a prayer leader, uh, and at the time of the, of the ministry that I belong to. And, uh, we have a prayer night on, uh, had a prayer night on Thursday nights. And after the, after the, what we were, the, uh, the prayer, I had asked a group of people, it was about 30, 25 to 30 people. And I said, uh, is, is anybody else experiencing, uh, these kinds of attacks or these kinds of assaults at night? And um, one by one, these hands started to raise. And then after it was all said and done, it was about 13 hands were raised. So everybody, uh, you know, most everybody in that group was experiencing these same kind of attacks at the same time, chokings, bitings, you know, things of that nature, Um, you know, just kind of being woken up in the middle of the night with, uh, you know, these demonic kind of um, activities. And so, and that was, and that made me mad because I said, well, you know, if these people are under attack, then how many other people are actually under attack or under these influences without even knowing it? And that was, that was another um, contributing factor as to why I wrote Demons Among Us was to just kind of uh, sound the alarm and open the eyes to people who um, haven't really thought about this or, or, or even know about it, <laughs> know about that these things are actually happening behind the veil or behind the, you know, but in the invisible spiritual realm. Um, but yeah, so, so the book has actually made people feel very, very comfortable uh, coming out and saying, Hey, I've, I've had these experiences and 
even my own mother, which was fascinating because she says, she calls me up one day. She says, you know, I, I read your book and I, I just got to tell you that um, uh, I had an experience when I was a little girl and mm-hmm. I was, and I'm like, and this is my mother. So, uh, <laughs> well, why haven't you ever mentioned this? Like ever. And she, uh, I didn't want anyone to think I was crazy. And, but the book is actually, you know, making people feel very, very comfortable. So I'm not going to think you're crazy because this stuff has been happening since the dawn of time. And um, so it's actually, these experiences are actually um, more, more normal and more, um, more occur more often than you actually, you know, than you actually realize. So I, I don't think it's crazy. This stuff's been happening forever. I've got two, well, one question, one kind of account. Do you think that there's certain people that are more susceptible to this, even if they don't know about it? Like you just said, uh, some people don't even know about this stuff is happening. And then there's other people that maybe could be, I guess, like myself, more open-minded to thinking that there's definitely something going on, like you said, on maybe the other side of the veil or wherever, right. whatever dimension or realm these entities or spirits or whatever we want to call them reside. Yeah, well, there's okay. So the, there's a, there's a couple of people who are really susceptible. There's people like me. Um, I'm a, like I said, I'm a believer. I'm a follower of, of Jesus Christ, and so that puts a target on my back. So basically, what happens is when you decide to become a, a follower or a believer, you've basically changed camps, and so now you have an enemy who's now dead set against you. Um, talking about or advancing anything good, godly, righteous, or of truth. They don't want that happening whatsoever. And so that paints a target on my back. So that's why I experience it and other people like me experience. And every time you kind of go to um, another level of faith or of power or of uh, make a decision, um, you know, to, to, to go deeper or to go, you know, uh, just to go deeper, um, you're you're gonna suffer another assault or attack because basically it's like it's like football, <laughs> you know, like you're gonna run downfield or you're gonna you're gonna have another guy trying to take you off, you know, take you out of the game, and that's what it's like uh, in a spiritual sense. And then there's those other people who dabble in the occult. And so when you're when you're tampering with things like, you know, Ouija, tarot, spiritists, necromancing, calling up the dead, conjuring the dead, uh, many branches to that tree, um, you, you open yourself to spiritual um, harassment, attack and ultimately possession. It's so strange because the accounts that I have with seeing especially a dark entities, just manifestations of human looking entities, but no features, just really dark. They've been more mischievous than I can consider, at least for myself, like with an attack. And I'm not the only one in 95% of the situations seeing it at the same time. So for me, my experience has always been, it's been like a girlfriend, like you see that peeking around the corner, we had three apartments in a row, where you would see something in the middle of the night, both of us peeking around the corner. And then in the bathroom, always the bathroom of our bedroom. And then looking just like quickly back when you look at it. And then I had something happen 
years ago at my friend's house where they actually have like holy water right when you go, come into the house and if something walked down the stairs, sat right behind my friend and then shot up the stairs. But it was never malicious or any type of attack. But right. I have had people in my previous house that I had, my dad's house, my brother and a really good friend of mine that have been attacked in the same room that I was sleeping in. So maybe it's me. I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. The, the situations vary. Um, I, I think, you know, you, you are going to get those sort of appearances or apparitions, but then, you know, when you, when it's there long enough, it becomes, it, it sort of goes from stage to stage, you know, and you see it like in horror movies, you know, first it's just messing around with like the, the, the rocking chair in the house and the, you know, and then it's, you know, when it progresses to something else and then you're talking to the thing or whatever. And then, you know, and then it starts, you know, uh, you know, leaving messages on the wall or whatever. And so these, these, there's an escalation to these things. And so uh, the longer we kind of tamper with them or we kind of, you know, meddle with them, um, the, the more it becomes. So it'll go from, you know, uh, you know, seemingly innocent kind of thing and then, and then progress over time to become more malevolent and more, um, you know, and just and more dangerous. Assuming somebody is fairly spiritually adept and they can kind of pick up on these attacks, they're not saying it's in my head. They're thinking right. I might be being attacked spiritually. Yeah. What can somebody do to prevent further interaction, for a lack of better words, with some sort of demonic entity? What can they prevent from it going further down that spiritual decline, the attachment? How can they help yeah. themselves? You know, I got, uh, there's a couple of stories that I've have heard from people. Uh, one person, one woman, I was on a radio show and she had called in and <clears throat> she had some demon trying to like rip her hair out or, you know, cut her hair off. Um, I guess maybe for some sort of incantation or something. And then, then there was another guy. He was said, uh, you know, there's something in my house and it, uh, you know, it rips apart my home and it's attacking me. And you, the, these people are not lying because you, you hear the urgency and the helplessness in their voice. So what they want you to believe is that you're actually helpless and you're actually powerless. And in a sense, you are because these things are not, there's nothing in the natural that you can do. To, to do these, to, to, to keep these at bay, uh, to overcome them. You can't burn, you can't bur burn sage. You can't, you know, save Just cute little it. charms and, you know, and, and then put little things over your door. Um, that these are very highly malevolent, spiritual, supernatural beings with a supernatural intelligence. Uh, so you need somebody um, who's bigger and badder and meaner than them. And that's, um, you need Jesus Christ because he says he gives his believers and followers. He says, I give you power over these to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And so this is a real promise and a real supernatural power that's given um, to the follower and the believer to vanquish demonic spirits and to cast out demons. Uh, and it's a very real power and it's, you know, and that's, that's the only way, the only way, um, it is to call upon his name 
to you need somebody stronger than these demons, and that's that's the name Jesus Christ. Now, I know that you were just talking about attacks, physical attacks on people, and what I've always found in the stories of these demonic attacks or these entities attacking people is just as scary as the personal attacks on the person, but also to their surroundings. You were mentioning something about like writings on the walls. What are some of the physical surrounding things that have been affected that you've come across or stories that you've come across where the physical surroundings are also affected? Well, yeah. I mean, like the one guy who was talking about that, you know, it just destroys his home like over and over again. And, uh, you know, and like he said, like he's been suffering, you know, physical assaults claw marks, things of that nature. Now, when you feel these things, you sense these things enter the room uh, and it's filled with a a very, very dark power Um, and it's menacing and it's hateful. Uh, I guess, I guess to illustrate the point of, of how hateful and how, um, how um, the, the, the power I'll, I'll tell a story of, of what happened to me. Is that okay? Of course. Absolutely. All right. So this is actually, uh, I think, chapter three in the book is is one of the most frightening, harrowing experiences I've ever had. And the story goes: uh, I had lost my position at a at a uh, as a as a writer at one of the local newspapers in the marketing department. So I had to move out of my apartment, and I moved to a home. Um, uh, a family member had left. Um, uh, out west, and so when I came to the house, uh, it was sitting there for a while. So it looked abandoned, and it looked like the monsters or the Adams family could have been living there. And that's how dilapidated it became sitting there. So when I pull up in the driveway, the grass is brown and overgrown. The fence is uh, raw and colorless, and there's and it's dilapidated and it's leaning. Um, and even the fence door was hanging on a hinge and creaking in a breeze. And so it was like very, very creepy. And uh, to make it even creepier, it was a townhouse, two-story townhouse. And uh, on either side, there was these two big uh, block windows that looked over the property like these two vacant eyes. So it really had the effect of like the Amityville Horror House in a sense you know, just a, a variation of shape. And so, and this is what I walked into. And so one night uh, I'm trying to, to go to sleep and I smell something very rotten permeating through the home. And it smells like a decaying carcass of some animal or something, but with this sulfury kind of note or tone, like a gaseous kind of um, note to it. And it it was smelt like dead animal, but I knew it wasn't like dead animal, you know. <laughs> and uh, so I start smelling through the home, and I go downstairs, and uh, it's not the garbage, it's not the garbage disposal. And so and I look up at the air vent, and so I I grab a chair and I put my face to the air vent, and this rot is just blowing onto my face, and and it's just breathing on it. And I said, and I I'm highly suspicious that this is you know something is going on here. So I get on, I get down off the chair and I cut the power to the AC from the utility box, hike back up on the chair. And this, this smell is still 
breathing onto my face and it's now operating with no mechanical assistance and no power. And so now it's just this death-like smell blowing from the air vents. So I have a very, very strange (laughs) sensation that I'm in for it this evening. I go back upstairs and I try to try to go to back to sleep. And then, um, it's about three thirty-three in the morning, and I hear something call my name, and it says "Michael," and it's real slow and real creepy, and really, um, it sounds as far away as it does near, almost as if it was spoken from the back of a cave, in a sense, and. Um, and I don't want to turn over, but when I turn over, I see the 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 let's see two things. The the clock is flashing three thirty three. The numbers are red and it's pulsing on the along in the room. And there's this figure looming over my bed, and it's cloaked in black and hooded, and its head is cocked. It's tall and lanky, and his shoulders were crooked, and it was looking down on me with this menacing smile this mocking, menacing grin, like broad grin. And it had eyes. It wasn't like a skeleton, like just nothing sockets, but it had eyes, but there was, there was no light in them. It was lifeless and just absolutely dead. You know, everybody has a shine in their eyes, right? Like some kind of light in their eye. This had nothing. It was just pure death. And, um, and so when I looked at it, um, it was a real like strange because it was as spiritual as it was natural because it was absolutely physical. It was, a- it was absolutely there. Um, but I looked down at its robe and it was flowing like it was underwater in a sense, had this real watery movement to the, to the bottom of its robe, but I could see through parts of it. And it was the, the deeper, the layer of these, of its, of it was like in sh- in in rectangular uh, shapes the 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 cloak, and the deeper the layer, the blacker it got, and it was, um, and so it was moving. And then I feel something on my chest, and I look down, and there's this hand clawing up my chest, like a claw clawing up my chest, and it's about it's going to choke me, and it's just looking down at me with that grin because it was taking real pleasure in its malice. Now it wasn't just the form that was actually terrifying. It was the waves of hatred and the power that was emanating off of this thing, going back to what we were talking about earlier, that it's absolutely literally paralyzing. I was frozen, absolutely paralyzed. Couldn't, couldn't cry out because they do something like they take their breath. And, and so I'm just looking at this thing like, holy shit, this thing's going to kill me. And, um, and, and so that was the first time, the reason why it was so frightening. Oh, and not only could I um, feel the bands of hot hatred billowing on my skin, but it was burning through me like a hot tar. So it was like this menacing hatred that I've never felt before. <clears throat> and it was not just hatred for me it was hatred these things hate humanity they hate they hate people and um and so i could feel this hatred burning through me like nothing i've ever experienced before and the reason why this was so frightening was because 
it was the first time I've dealt with a lot of things, uh, but this was the first time this spiritual entity entered the natural and was physically touching me that I can, that I could see its form. I can see, um, what it, what it looks like. And, um, and so that was, uh, I said all that to say is that there's, you know, there's a, there's a dark power that overtakes these things enter the room. There's a real physical thing that happens when these things enter the room. And that was, so that was my most harrowing experience uh, at the time of writing the book. It's really interesting you say that because of the few people that I know personally, like my brother and another good friend of mine, uh, but maybe about two or three people have had the same experience when it comes to telling me what they saw. My brother, the way that he describes it, he goes, if I drew it for you, you'd have nightmares. And it's really reminiscent of everybody saying like a sleep paralysis demon. And, you know, especially with the choking. And I have one friend that I was in a band with that has a very similar situation when it comes to the smells and the sights, except he lost time. And he explains it more extraterrestrial sense, like alien long fingers touching him. The way he describes it it was something almost like Slender Man walking on his roof or something like that. But he has a very reminiscent smell of the rotting. But with my brother and a few other friends, they all have the same situation where they see this cloaked figure. It's almost reminiscent to me as like the Grim Reaper. And they can't tell me how terrifying the face of this thing was (laughs) and the experience and the fact that it always chokes you. That's the one thing that was its super strange. I've never had it happen to me, thankfully. But most of the time that these things have happened, I was sleeping in the same room. So like yeah. I said before, maybe it's me. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, yeah, it can definitely happen to somebody and, and not you. You know, they, they have, yeah. you know, they, again, they have a power. If they don't, if they want to wake up the person next to you and not you, well, they could, they could do that. But going back to like the, the alien-like form, you know, I've heard this before. Uh, and it is my belief that uh, these things that people think are or call aliens are actually demons in disguise. And um, like the Bible talks about uh, the devil or Satan or dark forces um, being able to transform themselves into an angel of light. So meaning that the the worst possible evil can mask itself to become a form that looks like ultimate good. That's fucking scary, right? If you think about it. And... um, so that that tells me that these things can transform themselves into any image that they want. They can appear in any form. They can appear like a dead child or your deceased grandmother or your, you know, your your deceased father or 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 whatever. Um but they could take on many forms um and that's my belief that what people describe as aliens and even ghosts are actually demons in masquerade. Before I let you in on a story of an experience that I had very similar to yours, I've got a a precursor question, and that would be, what compelled you to open your eyes when you felt this thing looming over you? Was it of your own doing or just unnaturally compelled to see what it was? Uh, Well, I think because it's uh, you, you sense something there, and it's almost it's so shocking 
and that you that you kind of have to like open your eyes. I mean, I think so. I was laying on my looking over to one side, and once that thing called my name, I was like, I'm not going to roll over. I'm not going to roll over. Mm-hmm. But you sense something there, and I think it was a bit of uh, a bit of curiosity and a bit of just being startled. And so it's like, you know, when you're startled or shocked, you, you can't help but open your eyes. And then I just couldn't stop looking at the thing. Like it was just, whoa. And it felt like it lasted a long time. It couldn't, it wasn't that long. But when you're in that sort of situation, it it's so terrifying. Uh, you know, when you're in terror, it loses kind of time. You know, how like time slows down and speeds up at the same time, almost like a car wreck. Hmm. It's kind of like that. And it's, but it, it, it doesn't last long, but it's terrifying enough that it seems like it's going on for a long time. You know, I only ask because, and Dave and Mike are well aware of all the stories that I have. When I was a teenager in high school, we had moved into this house and everything was fine for a couple of months. And then we started to, as a family, experience a lot of paranormal activity And I won't get into all the details of everything that went on, but at the point of this interaction I had with some sort of entity, we were well into experiencing things in this home. Hmm. Uh, Again, I was a teenager. I would stay up late all the time. So it was probably midnight, one in the morning, and my bedroom was in the basement. So I had gone upstairs to get a glass of water before bed. Everybody was asleep. All the lights were off. No noise coming from anywhere. Went back down into the basement, watched some TV, laid over on my stomach, and I'm trying to fall asleep. And I heard somebody walk down the upstairs stairs because you know how like stairs, they overlap in two or three story homes. So I, I could hear somebody walk downstairs and I figured, okay, well, my brother got up. Maybe he's going to the bathroom, getting a drink or something. And then I heard the footsteps go through the living room and then into the kitchen and stop and then back into the living room, and then back up the stairs. Okay, he went to go get a drink. And then back down the stairs, into the kitchen, into the living room, into the kitchen, into the living room. I could hear footsteps from the basement of somebody pacing around my house. And still, I'm face down in my pillow trying to fall asleep. Didn't really think anything of it. And then the basement door opened up. I could hear it creak. It was an old house, rusty hinges, you know how it is. And somebody started walking down the basement steps and I could hear each step. And at that point, I was a little bit spooked and I got a really weird feeling. And the footsteps stopped. I couldn't audibly hear them or make them out once it got to the bottom of the wooden stairs. But I had the same feeling, something looming over my bed and like i said i'm a stomach sleeper my face is in my pillow like i'm looking the other way that's a terrifying feeling and i don't know how to explain it to people feeling like there's something standing over you it felt as though it was like arched over my bed looking down at me and i could not bring myself to look at whatever was there which is why i asked like Praise to you for being able to do that. I couldn't imagine. And I laid like that for I don't know how long until I fell asleep, terrified. I couldn't breathe. It was scary, man. Yeah. Well, that, you know, the thing that I described, yeah, it it was looming. I mean, it literally looked like it was like 16 foot tall and like bending bending over. It was very, 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 very tall and like lanky, uh, skinny-ish. And um and it was kind of like, you know, it was 
it was. It was like kind of bent over the bed in a sense. Yeah. Just because maybe because it was so tall, <laughs> didn't want to hit the ceiling. I don't know, but it was, it was, it was something like that. Mike, how many times have you heard something walk up and down those basement stairs in my house while we're just sitting there, like watching a hockey game or something like that? You know, playing beer pong many times, many times, and we open wow. the door quick, nothing there. Yeah, that's crazy. Now, are they heavy footfalls, or are they? You know, what kind of what kind of steps are they? Just normal steps. You didn't need much. Those stairs were like. <laughs> Every time you took a step, yeah. they were loud. They were very old, loud, dry, rotten stairs. And I could be sitting there in the living room or in the kitchen, hanging out. My dad's passed out and you can hear him snoring, but you're hearing somebody walk up and down the stairs all the time. Right, yeah. Yeah, no, I've heard I've heard um, a lot of that before. Someone had, had reached out or called in a show and there was somebody above her. Um, she knew that her husband had left for work but for some reason she so she hears these steps and she thinks it's her husband up in the like up in the 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 second floor or the attic can't remember exact details of the story but you know but she was hearing footsteps go back and forth in the floor above and um, when she would go up there there was there was nothing there but she was you know she knew that uh she wasn't crazy she was hearing footsteps and you know, uh, but yeah, so I, I've heard that quite often. You had mentioned a little bit ago about how sometimes these entities will disguise themselves as past relatives that have passed on. Yeah. Now, to say that, what are your thoughts on ghosts? Now, as far as that goes, are all these representations of past family members that are coming to you, are they all demons? Are some of them demons? Is there validity to a ghost? Or is everything that we're seeing just some sort of other entity disguising itself? Yeah, I think most of what we see as as ghosts um, are. I, it is my belief that they are, you know, demons in masquerade, demons with a mask on. Um, and but that's it, it's also a complicated subject because there's also people experience their deceased relatives right after they pass away. Um, and this was, um, this was some, this was a topic that has mystified, um, people, even the greatest, uh, preachers of early America kind of grappled with this, with this subject, the greatest, the, one of the greatest at the time in the 1600s, um, was, his name was Increase Mather. And, uh, he grappled with this topic as well. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, his conclusion to answer the part where the, the, the person shows up benevolently, uh, it, it, to communicate something right after death. Um, he said, well, uh, he, he didn't know, but he was like, listen, if, if God wants to do that, he's God, he could do what he wants. But then there was also, I also had an experience with, um, what looked like my father, I'll just put it that way. And it was, um, another harrowing experience. My dad died, uh, in 2021. Uh, and I was cleaning out his, um, his closet and uh, I came across an old faded green sweater that was there from forever, the nineties or something. And, um, and I came across a, a Miami hurricanes t-shirt. Uh, we live in Florida. Uh, and so, 
uh, and, and as I was cleaning, so I was cleaning out his closet and then I went to, went to bed that night and I'm in bed and I, I sensed something enter the room and I look up and my father's standing there and he's wearing this green faded sweater and he's holding the Miami hurricanes, um, t-shirt. Now to give you guys a visual, my dad looks a lot like Danny DeVito. He was a short round, you know, Italian guy. And he's standing there and I'm looking at him and me being me, I'm very highly suspicious. And, and I'm looking at him and then he starts walking towards me and I don't move. I'm just watching him. And he leans in for this awkward hug. You know, I'm laying down. So he's going to kind of bend over for this awkward hug. So he leans in with this awkward, for this awkward hug. Mind you, this looks exactly like my father. I mean, there is nothing that would say this is not my father. It looked just like him to a T. And so he leans in for this hug and comes in for a hug. I don't hug back, but he pulls his head away. And right over my face, his the face starts burning off at the sides like cigarette paper, like like ash and 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 glow. And it's and it's and it's burning backwards, and uh, in the middle was this skull with two gleaming yellow eyes, like little yellow suns, and they were, and the face was etched with this face of fear, trying to provoke as much fear in me as possible. And it was like you know this this you know fearful kind of face, um, and so um, I said all that to say is that um, you know not all not all representations of your relatives are um are of are good they are they are a demon in disguise and i have experienced that so that was one of the experiences that happened after the writing of the book my dad passed away in 2013 and uh i've had very minimal whether it be dream state or anything like that contact i guess you could say and if i do it's usually during a point of a major turmoil or unrest in my life you know there's a lot of drama going on but he never speaks every time he tries to speak i wake up and it's very strange one thing you mentioned earlier is you wake up at 3 33 in the morning and we all know obviously like the witching hour around around those times um i usually wake up around 3 23 mike you have a very similar right two something or what was it I'm always within two to three minutes of three o'clock. Yep. Literally every night. <laughs> Mine's three twenty-three. And I'll wake up, I'll look up, I'll look around, and it's almost like you can tell we're energetic beings. So you can tell that somebody's like right up on your face. Yeah. And you open your eyes and there's nothing there. For me, obviously three thirty-three in numerology will you know mind, body, soul, and that's like when allegedly you're the good side, the guardian angels are supposed to be contacting you. But does that have any correlation with, like we say, the number of the beast 666 and 333 numerology is there's something that connects that because a lot of the stuff that we do see or people allegedly see at 333 o'clock or so in the morning, the witching hour is usually like nefarious. It's usually not always your loved one coming to be like, everything's good. I'm okay. It's usually like what you're describing. It's something harassing you or attacking you or messing with you. Yeah. I don't know why uh, these things happen at that 
time. I mean, they do call it the witch, witching hour for a reason. Um, and my best guesstimate is because that's when we're most vulnerable and susceptible to these, you know, attacks and demonic suggestions. Um, now I don't, I don't know. I have no studies on it. I have, you know, I don't even know how to research that one, but that is my, my best, my best guess is because that's when you are most vulnerable and they love to, um, you know, they love to attack when you, you know, when you're, when you're most vulnerable. You think that has anything to do with REM sleep, the certain type of frequency your brain is operating at when you're in that type of deep sleep? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know. Well, they do say around that time of night is when your heart is at its weakest between three and four in the morning, because that's when you're hitting, like Dave said, like deep REM sleep. Your heart goes into rest mode. That's when actually most people pass away in their sleep is between three and four in the morning. Oh, wow. It's funny that Dave had mentioned the the three in the morning thing. For me, the 3 a.m. thing didn't start until 2013. I had moved out to California for a bit, and it didn't start until I got back home to Connecticut. I had moved in with a friend of mine in this house, and my room shared a wall with the stairwell to the basement. And much like everybody, you know, you hear steps up and down. But these steps that I would hear, they were not every night, but they were a couple times throughout the week, would be heavy and fast, like somebody was running up and down the stairs. It would be ascending. It would be from the bottom to the top, bump, 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 you know, running up the stairs. And then there was a door at the top of the stairs and the door would slam. And I asked my friend about it. No, it wasn't me. It was just us living in the house and his girlfriend and her daughter. And that's when I started to hit like the 3 a.m. thing. When this started, I started to notice in the corner of my room and just by the door, I always thought that someone was standing there. And I always got the feeling that someone was standing in that corner. And I just always felt that way. It was like the first spot that I looked at as soon as I woke up in the middle of the night. And I don't know why I thought this, but I always thought that it was a woman or a female figure. Like I said, it's been pretty much every single night since 2013. And here we are in 2022. So you hear these steps every night? No, no, no. No. When I lived in the house, I did. The thing that kind of capped it off for me, and this started happening probably a couple of weeks before I moved out of that house, was whispering. Yeah. And the whispering came from that corner too. So it kind of solidified that there was some sort of <laughs> some sort of something going on there. But like I said, luckily I moved out a couple of weeks later. But that 3 a.m. thing never left me. Yeah. Wow. It's like, like I said, like you, you always know something's there, whether you could see it or not. There's just this unnerving, uncomfortable thing, you know, that's there and you're probably right. It probably was in the corner and well, you know, um, but yeah, you can always sense when it, when there's something in the room or there's something watching you, uh, whether, you know, you always sense it. And, um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's crazy, (laughs) scary stuff. Being as well-versed as you are in this paranormal phenomenon field, I'd assume it's safe to say that you're aware of the possession of Annalise McKell, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, you know how the doctors tried to write it off as frontal lobe epilepsy. Yeah. And then you take into account 
Son of Sam or the alleged possession of Arnie Johnson. They made that Conjuring film about at what point, and you, you've heard stories from all of us, by no means am I trying to deny or take away validity to these phenomenons, but at what point do we draw the gray line between a mental or physical ailment and actual demonic possession? I mean, that's a that's a really, really good question because there is a... You know, there is a, a fine line and some mental disorders or some things they, they could appear as uh, possession. Um, I think that we do a great disservice um, probably to many and just sort of tacking it on like they're, they're crazy and it's schizophrenia plus this plus that. I think that we try to explain the, or these well-meaning psychiatrists and, and, you know, and doctors, um, try to explain it. But I think that there's some, these instances that are so beyond their knowledge or beyond their learning that it's actually spiritual in nature. Um, and so they're trying to treat these, these individuals, um, by with natural means or natural, uh, by by medications and things of that nature, uh, so they're they're trying to to remedy a supernatural ailment with man's natural or man man you know man's sort of remedies, and they're never going to get set free from uh, demonic powers. I mean, you got to be very very careful and as you know kind of um, astute or discerning to know between um, that fine line between psychosis and, um, you know, and possession. Now I go into it in the book and I talk about people hearing voices. Um, and I, I talk about it from, from the standpoint uh, from three instances. One of the instances was um, a 12 year old kid one night grabs a shotgun, walks up the stairs to his grandparents, uh, bedroom where they were sleeping blows them away and gets in his truck goes on a joy ride gets gets in their truck goes on a joy ride i can't remember if he actually you know burn burn the house or, or whatever but um and, and in court uh they said uh, you know well why why did you do this and he said well i was hearing voices and he says well w- what were the voices saying says to kill. And then he talks about it, that it came with such rapid fire succession, like kill, 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 kill. And such commanding force that the only way for him to, for his voice to stop was to do what it was commanding me to do. And, and this kid was, was helpless. And what it turns out that this kid was recently put on uh, antidepressants, and I make this connection in the book between antidepressants and opioids to um, ancient mysticism and ancient cultic rituals, um, because that the the connecting line between them is the opioid poppy. And what these ancient mystics used to do was was use this drug, whether inhaled, um, ingested, they even made tablets, um, or you know, or inhaled. Um, it was opening up to a spiritual realm in order to hear voices, whether to to give, 
you know, prophecy or oracle or, you know, some kind of, um, some kind of information, um, from the other side. And, uh, and so what I believe is some people are, are literally actually hearing voices and because they've been put on these things there and they don't know it, but these very same, um, we still use opium in our opioids or a synthetic derivative of it. But I believe it is my belief that people are being up opened up into the spiritual sense without even knowing it. And they really are hearing voices because they've opened up some part of the conscience without knowing it. And because it's given by a doctor. And so they think it's okay, but they've opened themselves up into the spirit realm. Uh, without knowing. And uh, I believe that they are hearing it. And the woman who, who killed her five kids in the, um, in the car by drowning them in the lake. Um, Susan, remember that one. Yeah. Susan, something, she said she was hearing voices. She was hearing voices and she, she, she had asked her um, uh, psychiatrist, do you believe in Satan? And I, I can't remember exactly what he said, but he goes, because he's speaking to me. I hear, I hear him speaking to me. And she was on uh, probably, I think they just upped her dosage of, um, of the opioid, of the medication. And so there are those instances where people say they're hearing voices. I really believe that they they are hearing voices and they're not crazy. They're just on a medication that opened them up uh, in, in a spiritual sense um, to be able for these spiritual um, uh, spiritual entities and demonic influences to speak into their lives. And, uh, and so, um, I think that needs to be, be looked at a, a lot more closely. Um, and, and just, I think it needs to be taken more seriously. If people saying they're hearing voices, I think that needs to be, I think there's a time now that we need to start taking this a little bit more seriously as to just tacking on them that they're crazy. I think we're doing a, a great disservice to people in that regard. I kind of have a two-part question to that. You mentioned like opioids. I live in California. I see a lot of heroin addicts on yeah. a daily basis. Yeah. A lot of people on methamphetamine. And they're talking to themselves. They're slamming their head into palm trees. They're having full-blown arguments with things that aren't there. Yep. Obviously, we have the war on drugs. And it's clearly not the war on drugs that people perceive, you know, like, oh, well, we're trying to stop people from doing drugs. I think it's the exact opposite. And I think the three of us together think the same way that it's or think the opposite way that the war on drugs is on us to mess with our frequencies. But do you think that this could be an actual hyperdimensional race of beings? I think you touch on reptilians. And that's one thing. With spiritual warfare, you usually have the reptilians, the sucking of the energy, the pulling of making people depressed because it just leeches off of us. Do you think that all this stuff could just be the lizard people? Well, I mean, the devil first appeared in the form of a snake, and that's why you, you see this snake creature throughout all of history. You see it in the Aztecs, you see it in the Mayans, you see it um, you know, um, in, in just these ancient civilizations. There's always a form of a snake. Um, and that was just, it's just across all those ancient cultures. So, um, it, was it just myth? I don't know, but I believe that some myths are grounded in truth. And, um, I don't, I don't think the story of the garden of Eden is myth. I don't think that's 
I don't I don't take it as myth, but again, this these entities can appear in forms of snakes, right? And so I don't believe they're reptilian people. Again, I think that these are spiritual entities in dis, you know in you know in disguise. So um you know, do they exist? Yeah, yeah, probably because they can take on any form that they want. Now to address the the other part of like how these things, you know, how these spirits, demonic spirits and spiritual forces work around us. Um, there are such things and people don't look at it as this way. And this is why this is partly why I wrote the book was to open up people's understanding and open up people's eyes to what these spirits actually are and what they do. Now, these spirits they all have names. We all have names. They have names, but they're be- they're better known by what they do. And so there are such things as um, spirits of depression, spirits of fear. Fear is a spirit. Uh, spirits of suicide. Suicide's a spirit. Spirits of pharmacoi, where we get our word pharmacy from, and that word pharmacy, uh, pharmacoi literally means in the ancient Greek sorceries. So what we're practicing when we're taking these things is sorcery. Um, and that's why we're, you know, people are claimed to hear voices and stuff because you they've opened themselves up. But um, so, but there are, you know, spirits of anxiety and there's, there's just all types of spirits and they can work in tandem, depression, suicide, anxiety. And so uh, spirits of lust or pornea, and where we get our word pornography from. Um, and so, uh, and so there are these, all of these spirits, um, operating and functioning in the world around us, um, without people even really knowing it. So they, there could be individuals out there in severe depression, not knowing that they're actually under the influence of a spiritual entity, known as the spirit of fear. It's not just one. I mean, there's, there's millions of them. So, um, and, or suicide could be suicidal, not knowing that there is something behind him, behind the individual driving them to do it. Uh, and so these things are actual spirits, uh, demon spirits, um, and they could be affecting the lives of millions and millions of people without even knowing it. That's how it works. And so let me let me just talk about this is a good time to talk about how these these spiritual entities actually work. Okay, so demons and dark forces, they actually need people to work through as well. Um, and so um and we, we were talking about like, is this a plan? And is this is this, you know, is this, you know, how is this is this something that's just you know planned out and assault on us or whatever? Um, in a, in a spiritual sense, these, the spirit realm, these dark forces work like, um, uh, 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 influencer marketing in a sense. So if I was a smart demon, if I was a smart devil, um, which they are, and he is, um, they go after the, the most influential people, uh, in society in order to 
inject ideologies and to disseminate them out to their followers and minions. So this is how this is how the spirit realm works to permeate evil on a grand scale in society, much like influencer marketing. Now, if I was a smart devil or demon, who would I go after? I'll tell you. I would go after heads of state. I go after judges, justices. I'd go after CEOs. I'd go after um, um, I, I would go after rock stars and musicians, actors, actresses, leaders of Hollywood, uh, and anybody influential in any arena. I would go after and inject my my ideology to disseminate to the unknowing masses. And that's how it works. Oh man, does that explain the satanic blood cults in Hollywood? I was going to say that could be a great explanation for all of these sacrificial sort of imagery that we see in pop culture and the government. The next thing they're going to try to normalize, and you're going to think I'm crazy. <clears throat> the next thing they're going to normalize <clears throat> is, um, is sacrifice. It sounds outlandish. It sounds crazy. But we're inching towards it, and you're seeing that. The next thing we're going to – they're going to try to normalize – is sacrifice. How do you think that they would go about that? Like, what is the introduction to that? That's what I'm wondering. Have you seen how much cannibalistic media has been being pushed? After that Dahmer show, yep. I have seen trailers for at least three blockbuster, cannibalistic, ritualistic type Hollywood movies in yes. literally the past two months. And me and my girlfriend keep looking at each other when we see these these commercials and we're like baffled because that's never really been a thing like having that yeah. be that popular to where it's like you're seeing it every half hour on the television movies right. about eating people there's a new one bones and all yeah you're being conditioned and uh and indoctrinated without knowing it and this is all under uh basically the spell and influence of of evil using people to to advance its evil causes and I go into it in, in great detail in the book, um, uh, how evil floods a society to accept, e uh, accept evil as good or accept, accept evil. And um, there are many ways, but I talk about three ways in the books, in the book. Um, and one of the ways is uh, politics, uh, another prong is media uh and another prong is surprisingly enough comedy and comedy and no other i uh, have no greater example as to how vicious and how vile and how influential comedy can be to influencing the mind to think as the masses think than the trump presidency um where we saw uh, no matter whatever, whatever your political affiliation is, I think we could all agree that was so vitriolic against uh, against President then President Trump um, that in a way that we've never seen before. And in fact, um, when the Bible talks about uh, merriment and laughter, it talks about it like twenty nine times, and out of those twenty nine times, only two times it's talking about. Uh, Joy and laughter in, in a sense of joy and merriment and happiness. The other times is talking about mocking, scorn, and derision. And so what they do to use comedy 
is to uh, to mock and to scorn of people's uh, opinions and ideas and ideologies um, in order to shift them over to their to their camp. And we saw that we saw that firsthand, uh, and that was trying to be used through comedy. Another um, another way to get them to accept things is through um, the children through cartoons and books and uh, through books, children's books and cartoons. And I talk about that as well in the book. And that's how it's going to get that. So when you see this taking place, that's what's happening. That's why I wrote the book. Mr. Gorga, since we have just passed that one hour threshold, we're going to begin to wrap this up. We really want to thank you. We appreciate you giving us your time tonight and bringing us along through this very fascinating conversation. It's been wicked enlightening and it opened my eyes to quite a bit. Oh, good. That's what, that's what, uh, that's, well, that's what I'm trying to do. So, <laughs> uh, I appreciate that. MR, before we let you go, why don't you let the listeners know, let our hushlings know what you have going on in the future and, uh, where they can find all your work. Well, hushlings, um, currently, uh, one of my latest works is a, a full length feature screenplay. I'm looking to, uh, to get done. It's about a, uh, so, you know, I can't tell you all the details, but it's a uh, a period piece set in the 17th century about a um, uh, a witch trial, and it's probably the most historically accurate, harrowing um, witch trial um, that you'll you'll find. I've gone through 350 years of research uh, to unearth what I was believe is one of the most frightening witch tales. Um, to be told. So I'm looking for um, producers and agents to come on board with that right now. So hopefully um, I can get that, uh, you know, pull trigger on that. Uh, and you can find uh, Demons Among Us, shocking real life stories from the paranormal and Amazon number one bestseller uh, at Amazon, uh, available in print and Kindle versions. Um, and soon I'll have the audiobook version as well. I keep promising it's coming, but it's coming. <laughs> and uh, uh, you can find me on on social media at Instagram at m.r.gorga and on Facebook at mrgorga. And Hushlings, we will make sure to include MR's links and all the goodies to find his book in our show notes, as always. We want to thank you again so much for giving us your time and spending an hour with us to talk about this really intriguing subject that I think a lot of people have either suffered with or have experienced. Check out Demons Among Us, shocking real-life stories from the paranormal. And thank you for joining us on another edition of the Declassified Discussions. I'm Declassified Dave. I'm Mystery Mike. And I'm Sick Frank Sanders. <laughs>